This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Registered Investment Advisor Podcast where financial services marketing expert Seth Green interviews experts, executives, and top producers to share can't-miss tips on how they successfully manage their financial service firms, grow their businesses, create great relationships, and influence the industry. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. Welcome to the RAA Podcast. This is your host, Seth Green, here with Peter Schultz of SchultzandCo.com. Peter is the president, founder, and a portfolio manager at Schultz & Company. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Let's go back in time a little bit. How'd you get into this crazy business in the first place? Well, uh, I think I've always been interested in the stock market uh, since I was in college. And uh, once I got out of college, I got a job at a large New York bank. It took me three months to figure out what I really wanted to do for the rest of my life is pick stocks. Uh, If you're good at it, no one can criticize you. You live and die by your sword, I guess is what it is. I've never been good at corporate politics, so I wasn't going to get ahead that way. So yeah, I I pursued the business from there. I went to Columbia Business School. And after that, I worked at Smith Barney for quite some time and always dreamed of having my own shop and dreamed of working with my son since the day he was born. And unfortunately for him, he's in the next room. So that, that dream came true. So yeah, that's how I got started. Well, congratulations. I'm sure the longer version of that story could probably be in a book somewhere if it isn't already. Right. So talk a little bit about the evolution of Schultz & Co. over the last few decades. Well, yeah, that's kind of interesting. When I was at Smith Barney and even in grad school, I was fascinated by the idea that I could look at pricing of a security, the PE, the growth rate, and Think about how reasonable the P.E. is, but other than comparing it to the market P.E., you had no way of doing it. I really wished I could compare it to all the other stocks simultaneously. And I had a friend in graduate school. We mess around with some formulas that we couldn't backtest. But in the mid-80s, I bumped into Zach's investment research that would make uh software, databases, and my PC with a 486 chip in it was finally powerful enough that quant really came together in the 80s. So uh, unbeknownst to everyone else at Smith Barney, I was their first quant. And the way I'd work it, and this is what I did when I left Smith Barney in 94, is I would not do what the machine said. Uh, What we had programmed in there was very bottoms up. And it essentially was winning characteristics 
of stocks. So I'd spit out about 150 and my lieutenant and I would go over it and see if there's anything there of interest and then pursue it fundamentally. That treated me very, very well for, uh, oh, about 15 years. But when I came up with my best model in 2000, I knew that if it lasted 10 years, I'd be really lucky. There's a little firm on Long Island called uh, Renaissance Technology who employs about 30 white coat doctorates in math. And here I am, just this lone guy with a PC. So I knew I'd have to uh, kind of morph in a different direction. And by the way, that's something your firm always has to do. This is like warfare. The tools, the weapons get more sophisticated, and you have to go along with that. So we were kind of thinking about what approach might suit us. And we looked at firms that manage over a billion dollars and uh, have excellent track records. What are they doing? Much to my shock and amazement, they were basically doing the same thing. They were buying very high quality names, companies that have an excellent offering, companies whose offering is extremely profitable and protected by a moat, and a company that can compound and grow their earnings nicely for a long period of time, and a management that does not waste or throw out all the cash flow coming off of the business, but they know how to redeploy it. What I've described is the perfect company. And uh, of course, the problem is perfect companies are not cheap. And uh, so for many years, I used to think about, well, this is not a great company, but it's dirt cheap and this is a good one. It's quite expensive. Yeah, I mean, where do you go? Which one do you use? I think what's taken me forever to learn is the good companies, in spite of their valuation, outperform nicely long term. I'm still trying to figure out why that is. My best guess is because they don't have negative surprises like bad companies. And when you think about it, the surprise by definition is the unknown incremental information. And that incremental information tends to always be positive with good companies and is very often uh, bad news or negative on valuation for a bad company. So I think there's one manager who said, I would like to buy a good company at a fair price than a bad company at a cheap price. And uh, I think that is a formula of outperforming. It allows us to focus our research efforts on a smaller uh, number of companies. And when we do valuations, if we can get these at reasonable prices, essentially what we're saying is the out years uh, the years beyond what the market looks at, maybe this year's earnings and PE next year's, maybe a little beyond that, but years three through 10 in excellent compounding companies, we think are undervalued. And of course, if inflation comes back down, it makes it even more so. So we have kind of adopted that as our current approach. 
But as you might well imagine, I'm a little concerned about AI, what happens to my job long term, and how this uh, business evolves. It's going to be very interesting and very challenging. You segue perfectly into, you know, the hot topic right now. So I'd love to hear you as as one of the first quants. I'd love to hear your take on what AI can't do. So theoretically, it could run an algorithm. It could run an analysis. It could spit out a list. It could even trade. However, it can't predict emotion or human behavior, which is technically what drives the markets. Talk a little bit about your opinion on that. Well, yeah, that that is interesting. I think uh, part of the problem I have with AI is I see it doing so much. And I think where it might really become powerful is ignoring what the market's doing, ignoring the psychology of short to intermediate term, and having an ability to identify companies you just want to buy and hold. After that, as we all know, a lot of times we get trends that last for a long time. They can be punishing. What's the old saying? The stock market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. And I think that literally happened in the dot-com craze, where these companies went up to such egregious valuations that it started putting professionals out of business. So I think what AI is doing from a short-term trading standpoint is measuring flows of capital in and out. It doesn't understand why there are the flows. It is not privy to the psychology of the individuals, but it just kind of grabs a little momentum and exploits that. We see that every day today in stocks. I mean, when the Fed speaks, the market moves. And I'm (laughs) I'm baffled by that because, as I said to somebody uh, all of us always knows what the Fed's going to do on uh, rate day. You know, they're going to raise it 25 bips or stay pat. I've never been wrong. Uh, and I've never had any idea what the market's going to do. And I've been surprised every time. And I think what's going on is it's high frequency AI is grabbing the headlines. If he says something that might be a little dovish sounding, To me, the message hasn't changed, but to the machines it has. So I think that's the short term, but uh, the short term horizon, I should say. But the longer term horizon for stocks in AI is to have a forecasting ability after collecting mountains of data on individual industries, economies, etc., I even foresee a day when they have extensive databases on every manager of every company, and they'll know what the track record was like. And they might even be able to adjust for, well, he was at an energy company, and energy was not the place to be, So, but he actually fared better than others. I mean, all these nuances, they're going to figure out. And they're going to come up with their algorithms as to what stocks should do the best long term. How one competes with that, I don't know. Well, if you think about it, 
humans have to put the parameters in, right? We've got to create the initial assumptions or criteria or scans upon which that is built. So let's go back to the present moment. How are you using it in your management now? We don't. Uh, (laughs) And I think the main reason is it's still a little young. I have worked with companies. uh, They've hired me to consult with them. And I can tell what they're doing is something I was not doing at all, which is reading text, interpreting, et cetera. It's a little crude. Uh, I I have looked at some services and I find it difficult to exploit them at this point. We would rather just razor uh, focus on the names we like. Are they at the right price? What's going on there? I mean, our our approach is very, very old fashioned. And I'm not saying it's going to last forever either. But uh, AI needs another 10 plus years before you're going to say, wow, you know, this is going to help long-term investing, I guess. Talk a little bit about the evolution of your team over the years. How do you recruit, train, retain during not only market cycles of ups and downs, but, you know, a pandemic or a great resignation or a recession? Right. Well, uh, I mean, I think uh, in my mind, the employees come first. If you don't have them, what do you have? So uh, I try to insulate them from the ups and downs of what's going on to some extent. Um, We have gone back and forth in research. I used to have a very young analyst and uh, right out of school, we would train them. Some of them became quite good. And uh, we've also used more experienced analysts. I think we wrestle a little bit with that optimal blend. I find the experienced analysts definitely know all the stuff that I don't. I mean, if you have a nice technology analyst, they really understand all that stuff. And portfolio managers don't. I mean, that's why NVIDIA is up so much. Uh, All of a sudden, you wake up and, oh, AI is here big time. All of a sudden. Who knew? Who had a clue? Tech guys, maybe, but not me. So um, I think I have a desire to keep people for a long period of time. And I have some employees who have been here for a long period of time. Um, I think the culture here is easygoing. Everyone gets along great. Uh, We all work hard. Uh, When you call us up, uh, you don't get a menu. Uh, You don't get music. You get a person. I think that one thing I've tried to develop is service because investing, as my wife says, now all you have to do is be brilliant. Service, if you have the desire, you can deliver good service. And these people that work for me are very bright and they do just that. So that's kind of how I'm trying to move the ship along, I guess. That makes sense. You are, you've been in the industry and been in business for such a long time and achieved so much success, not just for the firm, obviously, but more importantly for your clients. Other than AI, what's your biggest challenge now? Uh, It's regular software. We've uh, taken on some software that uh, 
didn't quite do what we wanted. So we're kind of uh, experimenting here and there, but there seems to be a bifurcation of software for the industry. A lot of people go to uh, Schwab with a small book of business and Schwab kind of does everything for you. In my mind, this is not a way or a place to build a huge business. Then if you manage over $5 billion, um, you buy very expensive software. But there are a bunch of firms in between that are creating software for, let's call them mid-size RIAs. And um, I mean, they're headed in the right direction. They're on the right track. Uh, I designed our trading software for us years ago, and uh, it was real useful, but we outgrew it. So that's a challenge. And of course, we're going to get it right. They're going to get it right eventually. But uh, I would say that's it. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? I think what I like is the fact that uh, a couple of things, but one is I feel like I have the most fun job in the world in that you get to examine all the most important things in the world. You're watching the world go by. Uh, you're learning about new technology and emerging capabilities in medicine, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we keep our eye on uh, the Chinese tension, the Ukraine war, Europe's economy. Is South America going to pick up? All of this combined uh, creates this mosaic you have to invest in. And it's kind of fun to learn about all this stuff. Other than that, I think what I like about the job is getting something right and making a lot of money for our clients. I've learned only recently that uh, I actually like stress. I wouldn't have thought so, but I realized that a stressful situation comes up and when we handle it well and are successful, there's no better feeling in the world. It's a little like uh, SEAL team guys in a much, much smaller dosage, of course. Those guys, I think, are excited about what they can accomplish under pressure. 100%. Well, we know your time's incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. For um, our folks watching or listening who want to learn more, what is the best way or place for them to go to learn more about you and all things Schultz? Well, you can go to our website at schultzandco.com. So that's S-C-H-O-L-T-Z. A-N-D-C-O.com, schultzandco.com. And our phone number is area code 203-714-9900. All right. Well, we, again, greatly appreciate your time. This has been Seth Green for the RAA podcast with Peter Schultz of schultzandco.com. Peter, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll talk to you or see you next time.